Welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon, where story creators talk story creation. Drake is an award-winning fantasy novelist and creative writing teacher. You can find his epic fantasy series, The Genesis Oblivion, on Kindle Vela. Marie runs a fantasy world-building channel called Just In Time Worlds, and her first book, The Hidden Blade, is available on Kindle Unlimited. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon with Drake and Marie where we talk about all things story. Today, we're going to be talking about my favorite topic, which is point of view. We're going to be talking about first, second, third. Actually, we're probably not going to talk about second. We're going to be talking about first and third, omniscient, limited, different things that I think about, tricks and, and tips on how to use them to really take advantage of the power of point of view. And we're also going to be talking about something that Marie brought up, which I'm really excited to delve into, which is also framing the narrator and, and how, how we're going to, you know, kind of use a device maybe to tell the story because the traditional way is just the narrator's telling the story, but there's other ways, you know, maybe it's a diary, maybe it's, it's, you know, somebody telling a story that they've already lived through in the past, or maybe it's whatever. So we're going to talk about that as well. So welcome. I have a particular interest in this because I've recently encountered a number of point of view expressions. And one of them that really jarred for me was I encountered a story that was written in first person, but with two narrators. The switch between narrators was really, really strange. Well, let's let's take two steps back. So two steps back would be to keep in mind that creative is the first word in creative writing. We can break any rules, even the golden rules, like the golden rules, which would be one step back. Point of view is one of those golden rules that you just can't break because the problem is, is when you break them, you can never do it flawlessly. That's why they're a golden rule. You know, Mm -hmm. one of those rules that, that just when you break them, it really hurts more than it helps. Mm -hmm. But if you take two steps back, We can break any rules we want. And so that's where you run into some of these writers and they don't really understand the golden rule. They don't understand it. And, you know, that's always the the first rule of rule breaking is if you don't understand the rule, then when you break it, you're going to do it wrong every time because you're not, you don't even understand that you're breaking it. And so therefore you're not going to, to take those steps to mitigate it. So I preach this all the time. If you're writing in first person, First person should be written in a story that has one narrating character from start to finish, period. Mm. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for this. You're actually creating this illusion that you're putting me inside of this first person character. It breaks the illusion. Even if it's two dudes or two girls, they're still different. They still have different Mm. motivations and different desires. And so you're in this one chapter of I that has this motivation and desire. And then the second chapter of I that has completely different you know, worldviews. And so it just doesn't work. It breaks it every time. And, and why would you even do it when third person is designed for it? You know, third person allows you to name those characters and you're not dealing with I as your only pronoun. And so if you're writing a story that has multiple characters, you should do it in third person. It's, it's there for you. So I think that there are many writers who don't know that if you're writing in third person, you can necessarily write as deeply 
as you would in first. You know what I mean? Like they, oh, yeah. they don't they don't think that you can bring in the emotional element and the context of even up to what they're thinking. Now, I personally don't like interjecting characters' thoughts into the narrative, but unless I'm and I do it person. and I do it every page, if not twice yeah. a page. Yeah, and I mean, and that's that's fine. That's just stylistic differences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In third person limited, I can interject the emotions and the general sense of what they're thinking. So in in my book, Point of View, What's the Point? Like I have an entire chapter where I take some of my first person writing, which is very immersive Mm. and very engaging and very Mm. in-depth. And I actually change it to third person. Mm. And the only thing I do is change pronouns. I don't change sentence structures. Everything works flawlessly because, you know, I write first person so deep but then i also take some of my epic fantasy third person stuff Mm. and i change it to first person and again all i do is change the pronouns to i exactly and and nothing needs to change you can write third person limited and that's why i feel that third person is actually more immersive than first person because the limit if you write third person limited correctly and you really push it to where you push that reader inside that narrator there is just something magical about when you're reading about Conan or, mm. you know, Bilbo or whatever, mm. you have a much easier time of suspending disbelief that you're not that person, as opposed to me saying, I, I went to the bar and I met this person and I did this thing. You as the reader is always being hit with, oh yeah, that's them because yeah, they're saying them, not me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I, even though you can suspend disbelief with that as well, Mm-hmm. I still believe that you just get one extra step deeper when you're in third person limited. If you're writing it truly immersive mm-hmm. and truly showy and, you know, really taking advantage of, of all the power of third person limited. Yeah. I actually think it's a, it's a more immersive POV than first. One of my favorite books uh, that's, that's nonfiction is Billy Crystal's uh, life story. It's um, yeah. I can't remember something about Sundays. Uh, it's like 50 Sundays or hundred Sundays or whatever. And it had to do with how many, how many Sundays he had with his dad before his dad died. But anyway, it was a fantastic book, but it's written in first person and it's Billy Crystal writing about Billy Crystal's life. So Billy Crystal is both the writer and the narrating character. But normally like, you know, cause I, the only first person I traditionally write <laughs> is mm-hmm. when I'm writing as my female author name, writing female main characters <laughs> in romance. Like, so like I completely change everything when mm-hmm. I go into first person. So I become a female, the character becomes a female and, <laughs> you know, I, and I'm writing in first person and I've just, I've just kind of, that's where I write my first person because it's easier. It's, it's just, it's like a vacation for me. My, my third person is so all encompassing and so detailed and so Mm. because it's epic fantasy and epic fantasy readers want that level of detail they want that level of complexity they want Mm. that level of of world building that they're going to explore i mean the the difference between first person and third person is very obvious but there's also okay so let's just let's just address second person because i guess there will be people who'll be like that you can write in second person I actually have one story yes. published in second person. Yeah. So yes, you can do it in second person. There's a there's a couple of things you can do. So you can do the story that you did where you're talking to the narrator through a cassette. Right. 
right? Right. And, and that's the thing. So to, to catch everybody yeah. up, it's it's a cheat. Uh, it's a little mm-hmm. short story of mine called Wishing You Weren't Here, where you're the main character, mm-hmm. but you're only in the story for the first two or three paragraphs, a couple paragraphs in the very middle, and the mm-hmm. couple last paragraphs. Because the rest of the story is really told in first person because mm-hmm. you are listening to a tape. And yeah. so the, the majority of the story is what goes on on that tape. Yeah. And so it's two guys that are talking in an insane asylum and you're listening to it. And so for the most part, I cheated and, you know, you're, I get away with it, but yeah, yeah it's, you know, second person creates some really weird sentence structures. It creates some really weird uh, things that like you can never describe the POV character. Cause if I said, you know, they have gonads and females are reading it. They're like, well, this isn't me. If I say yeah. they're skinny if they're fat, if they're white, if they're black, like literally no matter what detail I give about it, I'm going, not everybody has that detail. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like if I think about the only second person books I've ever read has been the choose your own adventures. Style. Choose your own adventures. Like and lone wolf. <laughs> and how to guides. Yeah. You know, yeah. first you're going to take part A and yes. then you're going to fit part A into part B. So that works really yeah. well in those because then it's like, yeah, I am going to take yes. part. Like you are talking to me <laughs> and I am going to do this. So it works really well there. It works really yeah. well in Choose Your Own Adventures because, yeah. you know, you're kind of picking which route we're going to yeah. go. And there's, I guess, in the film media, if I think about dogma, every time that they turn to stare at the camera and they go like, and you do blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I guess that that could be classified as second person storytelling. So <laughs> I so call that breaking the fourth wall. It is. It is. So the <laughs> weird thing about movies. So, you know, I write movie yeah. scripts as well. The weird thing about movies is they don't have a point of view. There's yeah. no such thing as a point of view in a movie. Yeah. They have, you know, camera, you know, mm. you have an audience. And so, yeah, the, the, you have two modes. You're either going to create this illusion of this world that the audience is, you know, kind of voyeuristically watching, or you mm. can break that wall where you turn directly to the audience and you talk to them. And that can work, but it has to be a plot device that you set up from the beginning and use throughout yeah. the entire, you know, thing. Um, and it can also be used horribly. Yes. Um, you know, it can ruin a story really, it really, really can. But okay, so so we know the difference between first and third and second. But mm-hmm. in third person, you have an array of narrators. A dozen at least. Yeah. I only talk about three because they're the three yeah. that are pretty much alive. But there are there there yeah. are lots of different versions of third person. Let's start with omniscient because that's mm-hmm. what Tolkien wrote in. Mm-hmm. I think. Like there, I have heard arguments that the Silmarillion at least is an unreliable narrator, but. But the Silmarillion isn't even a story. Yeah, it's not it's a collection yeah. of notes. <laughs> yeah, it's a collection of notes. So let's let's leave that, that the aside. family was going to make some extra money on yeah. after Dad died. Yeah. Like that's really what the Silmarillion is. Yeah. So let's leave that one aside and talk about the, the main stories, which yeah. is the the omniscient narrator. Mm-hmm. I guess what would you define as the omniscient narrator? Omniscient is when there's a third party narrator who's telling the story, who is not in the story, who has no mm-hmm. part in the story. Now, the, the, the thing that I stress on this is this could be you, the writer. You, mm. the writer, could be that narr- that third-party narrative that knows everything. I have all mm. the facts. That's why you can never be inside of any character's head. You know what everyone's thinking, and you could reference that. You're, you can say something like, it's sort of like in Lord of the Rings, there's the scene where Frodo is kind of sussing out uh, Strider for the first time. Mm. And he's like... I feel like, and you know, he even said something like Frodo felt like 
a lot of people would see this guy as a thief, but he also knew that he would feel more, you know, whatever, you know. Mm. And so he kind of has that, but he never does inner monologue. He never says, and then Frodo thought words like blah, 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 blah. Because in Omniscient, you're not in inside, you're not inside of any character. Mm. You're only on the outside looking in and you have all the facts and you have all the, and that's why you can never have an unreliable omniscient narrator because when you on purpose lie to a reader they hate it every time they they feel cheated they feel because you never gave them any ability to figure anything out so like there's one agatha christie book where it's not an omniscient it's it's in you know free owner discourse which is what most people write in Mm. But you, you're the narrator and you're like, oh, my God, there's a murder. This is so terrible. You know, I've got to figure this out. And you go the next murder and the next. And at the end, you find out the narrator was the murderer, which means they knew they were the murderer and they were just freaking lying to you flat. And so you don't feel fulfilled at all. You yeah. Like it was it, it, it's a book that I walked away from going, I hate you. I yeah. literally hate everything about you and would never read you again. Because but it's that- Agatha Christie. So we yeah. know that that's not something yeah. she normally did it's that kind of plot twist that comes out of nowhere you know the, as i call it uh, as i've said earlier on this podcast the 400 foot of rope phenomenon yeah the 400 just, foot of rope phenomenon indeed just comes like, out of nowhere just because you need it. <laughs> your omniscient narrator knows everything but it doesn't allow you to really embed into the characters right that's right. the downside of the omniscient a lot of people writing an omniscient think they can head hop that they that since i know everything i know what everyone's thinking mm. i can give that information to the reader that is also false mm. you have to have a focal character and you can only give the 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 what that that focal character is thinking and experiencing and feeling mm. so like lord of the rings is perfect we have frodo sometimes as our as our focal character and only the if you read those chapters only what frodo is feeling internally and only what frodo is thinking internally is ever referenced and again it's mm. not it's not we're not immersed in it so it's it's definitely the the pov that's that pushes the reader the furthest from the story uh, which is why it's a dead POV. You should not write an omniscient. Omniscient is just bad. Um, but then we, you know, but but we're Frodo. But later, Strider becomes, you know, the mm-hmm. focal character, or you know, Mary becomes the focal character, or whatever. Or it might have been Pippin. Uh, I can't mm-hmm. remember which one of them was the focal character between the two. But even when it was Mary and Pippin, and they were off on their own little adventure. Only one of them was the focal character and it never gave the insights of the other, you know, even though they're kind of treated as one character, he still doesn't even break that rule. So he was, you know, he was really great at running his omniscient. But now you say you shouldn't do it, but you can do omniscient if you do it with a good framing device, right? Because like how I met your mother Mm -hmm. could be and is an omniscient. The 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 storytelling side of it. Once yeah. we get into the episode, it's not. But the beginning, yeah. the end, whenever we see the two children mm. and we're having a conversation with the two children, yeah. then yes, that's definitely in that omniscient, you know, I've yeah, I've already like this. The, I'm gonna tell you the story of how I met your mom. You're yeah. 14, you're 12 or, or 16 or whatever, I can't remember which what yeah. they were. So I've already met your mom, we've already boned, we had children, you're sitting here. All of that is already fact. Yeah. So yeah, we're 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 we we absolutely have all the information, and now yeah. we're telling this story, you know, yeah. so from that, that was, perspective. So if that was written in a book form, you know, that framing device of the narrator mm-hmm. would be in the in the omniscient. But I feel like if you're going to do that, then you have to have a framing device, 
But And the weird thing is you don't have to you have omniscient as your framing device. Um, Patrick Rothfuss uses the framing device of the dude sitting in the tavern, which mm-hmm. is told in, f- I mean, it's been, a, it's been a while since I've read those books and I only read them once, so forgive me, but I think that it's written in first person in the tavern. What Pat did, which was really interesting, he has his main character mm. and his main character is written in first person. Yeah. Then he has other characters that are narrating characters, but aren't that one person who's going to do this, this, this quest. Mm. And so they're all written in third person. And so that was the framing device that he used where he was, he was separating his one main POV, his one yeah. actual protagonist is written in first person. And then anytime he needed to have other narrators give other sides of the story, he brought them as, as, as a third person limited yeah. uh, narration so that it, it framed them completely different between the two. And as I, as I recollect, those only occur in the story that he's telling as the tavern keeper. So I need to reread them too. Yeah. So, so that I can remember so, all that stuff. But I, I swear I remember so, like like it was that way around. I think it was the eyes in the tavern and then the third person in the rest. But anyway, so you can have that framing device of the of the different narrator from what is going on inside the story. But I don't think that you should have an omniscient narrator without a framing device. And the same for me applies to the unreliable narrator. So let's just talk about how the unreliable narrator is different from the omniscient. So when you slip into to limited, first person, third person free inner discourse, third person limited. Those are limited points of view, which mm. means the writer is no longer has anything to do with writing the story or you know telling the story. They have, they're mm. writing the story, but they're not telling the story. Yeah. It's the character who's telling their story. And the reason why that gives you the ability to have an unreliable narrator and not piss off the reader is because the character isn't lying to the reader. If the character believes, if, if, if I'm Sally and I believe that John is the best guy in the whole world and loyal and loving and caring, and he's everything that I want in a man, then that's the truth. That's what I feel. And then, and, and the reader feels that too. And we do these scenes mm-hmm. that build this up and show how awesome John is, but then the reader with me walk into the room and see John Boffin, my best friend. And that shatters everything that shatters the reality and the truth and everything. So obviously we were wrong, but we weren't lying to the reader. We only had the facts that we had. And those facts said that John was an an upstanding guy. And later we find out that he's not. And that's reason why limited is so much better than omniscient, because that's way more dramatic, you know, living through that life, a couple chapters, and then finding, you know, having that soul crushing moment when we catch John cheating on us is way better than in San Omniscient, you might write something like, Mary loved John. He was the, you know, she thought he was the best, most loyal, you know, greatest person ever. Little did she know she was act, he was actually having sex with her best friend. Like there's no drama to that. There's no, but but it's omniscient. So I know everything and I know that John is cheating on her. So I'm just gonna, you know, kind of info dump tell you that crap uh, right in that 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 moment in time because I can't lie to you. I can't. If I lie to you, then I'm just cheating. If later on in an omniscient, we find out that John was cheating and I, I, the omniscient narrator, painted him as this perfect person, then you just feel, you don't feel shocked. You feel duped. You feel like you were the sucker. You do. You do. But if I now thinking back to our our prime example of omniscient of Lord of the Rings, 
Tolkien does keep it secret that our boy Boromir is tumbling deeper and deeper into the embrace of the ring. I, I mean, don't think so. He, he does expose it, but he doesn't introduce Boromir and say, and Boromir had this fundamental flaw of ambition. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, it, being an Amazon doesn't mean you have to tell the future. Yeah. It just means, so we watch Boromir fall to the ring, mm. to the temptation, naturally. And, and yeah. it, it happened in, in time. You know, in this in this set, you know, here's the scene and this is how he acts. So we're not we're he never lied to us. He was like, mm. let me introduce Boromir. He's a great guy. Let me introduce Boromir now where he's doing something that's a little odd. Oh, now Boromir is literally trying to take the ring. Oh, mm. but now Boromir realized what he did and he's now going to die to make amends for him being an idiot to, to, to recapture his honor. So everything is still fact. There's no lying mm. at any given time. So I think that since we're we're reading that chronologically, we're, you know, absolutely not being lied to, and we see the progression on it. Mm. And again, it depends on how you write it. The the Mary John thing was a fictitious thing mm. I literally just made up <laughs> on the fly. I don't know, but yeah. maybe you could write that to where it does in an omniscient, and it doesn't mm. make the reader feel like you've cheated. But that one is going to be a, a, a lot tougher. Watching yeah. someone fall to to temptation over time. You're yeah. never lying. Like, so when you introduce Boromir, he, you're truthful in how he is. And then mm-hmm. as he falls, you're truthful. Every, but when you introduce John, if he's already, you know, sleeping with my best friend, but you introduce him as awesome, that you're flat out lying to me. Yeah. Because you know he's not, you know, a yeah. good guy. And so that's where I think that. And you're, you're letting me labor under the illusion that he is. Right. And so when we yeah. meet Boromir, he is what we, what we meet. He yeah. is this honorable, just man. And we know this because once he realizes that he fell, once he realized that he you know, gave into the darker side mm-hmm. of, of humanity, he then makes amends for it. He goes back and dies the man that we met mm-hmm. at the very beginning of that. So I, I think that's a little different. I, I feel mm. like, you know, that never, I never am lied to. So I never feel like you've cheated me and made mm. me the sucker. Whereas, yeah. you know, in other situations, Omniscient can absolutely make the reader feel like a sucker. And that never is good. It's never good to, your reader never likes you, you know. No, nobody point. likes to be a sucker. No. And they're not going to come back. You know, that's the thing. You can go, oh, but that's what I want you to feel. Then you don't want readers. That's that's what you want. Mm-hmm. You want to be a broke writer. Uh, you know, my company is Starving Writer Studio. And right now it's not an ironic title. I'm hoping eventually it's, it's <laughs> I can look back and go, oh, yeah, no, yeah, all these, all this money I've made, but my company is called Starving Writer Studio. And it can be this ironic kind of funny thing. Right now it's just dead serious. It literally is just fact, <laughs> which is sad. If that's what you want to be, then yeah, just piss off your readers and you'll stay a starving writer for the rest of your career. Uh, matter of fact, I'll, I'll even do a shameless little plug. Go to Vela to start getting that. And then, you know, I'll finish it up there, but then the whole book will drop after that, which means it does have to come off of Vela. One of the rules of Vela is you can, you can if it's published on Vela, it cannot be published anywhere else. Hit Vela, link down below. While you're on Amazon, check out Hidden Blade. Okay. Absolutely. Now that we've, now that we've plugged ourselves, yep. <laughs> let's, let's talk about um, Actually, I want to I want to do one one. Yeah. Hidden Blade is the only book I've ever blurbed, it's, and I've been asked hundreds of times to blurb hundreds of books, and I haven't yet. And not always because you know I didn't want to, but sometimes I just didn't have time or or whatever. But Hidden Blade is is 
is the only one to be endorsed by Maxwell Alexander Drake. It is. And, and, and it, I mean, my endorsement doesn't mean much right now, but <laughs> it was good. Like you Thank should you. read. And you should also read Farmers and Missionaries, which I think is what you're putting up the edited version. There's a lot new and I'll, it, yeah. it literally, that's why I'm not even going to going to call it Farmers and Mercenaries because it's a different yeah. story. And I have better read that. And I can highly recommend it as well. So go ahead and check that out. I appreciate that. Back to narrating and point of view and everything like that. So Um, I want to delve a little bit more into framing devices because mm -hmm. I really feel like this is an underused thing that can add quite a lot to a story. Depending on the story. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on the story, obviously, you know, but, but like how I met your mother to me, it's my go-to on this one because the mm-hmm. framing device was what made the show good. It's what set the sorry, no, that's that's not entirely accurate. There's a right. lot that made the show good. Right. Um, wet legend, wait for it, dairy. Just just everything. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge Neil Patrick Harris. Fan. I love Neil Patrick, but what drew me into the show. In, in a very large part, is this concept of the story being told from the future, looking back at the 90s, this framing device of the narrator. I also think it was their downfall, but but let's go. Yes. Because we're going to um, talk about that in the next episode. We're going to talk about endings, and I want to come back to... And we will definitely be talking about how you met your mother in yeah. endings, because... Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because, again, you're right. The framing was great in this whole, mm. hey, kids, you're now teenagers, let me mm. tell you about the time when I had just gotten out of college, moved into an apartment, got some mm. roommates, made some really good friends, and I hadn't met your mom yet. Like, this is back yeah. when I was single. So so let me tell, take you through this story of, of that. And that's a yeah. great framing for this, because then you actually have this groundedness mm. of when you get into the episodes and they're crazy and all this stuff is happening yeah. and you're learning, you're like, you know, you're like, yeah, you're but they're going to grow up. The they're they're going to become responsible adults, yep. you know, <laughs> yep. there's another um, framing device in the TV series that I actually found really interesting. And it isn't full. It isn't as fully realized as how I met your mother, but did you ever watch the, the procedural drama castle? Oh yeah. So in Castle, the narration almost starts with the writer, you know, he's looking for the story for his book. In places, Castle talks about how he's going to, you know, prose write the scene that they're in, Mm -hmm. um, which is also a very interesting framing device for that Mm -hmm. kind of narration perspective. I don't know if I see that exactly as a framing device or more of just a plot device where, you know, the plot device is you have a writer who's a mystery writer who feels like he's running out of ideas. So he gets this idea that he's going to embed himself Mm. with the police. So to me, that's more of a plot device than a framing device, but I mean, it's, it still works as a framing device. Go into a literary um, uh, example. It was a horrible book. One of the worst things I've ever read in my entire life. And I should have known this because I had already read the the first book this person wrote, and it was the worst (laughs) book that I ever read in my life. But when I was walking through Barnes and Nobles, I just saw the title of the book and I went, oh, that's for me. And I just bought it. I didn't look at the author name. I, and even if I did, I wouldn't have remembered that they wrote the first one. It's Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. And the first book he wrote was Pride, Prejudice, Zombies, which was god awful to me. Again, this is subjective. So if you love it, great. It's awesome. I didn't like it. I did, it wasn't a book for me. And so since I had already read one thing that this person had written, 
I should not have written, you know, read the next one, but I did. And it was terrible. I guess the only book that I've ever, like never in my life, have I ever said the words, the book was better than the movie. Um, Mm. I'm sorry. The movie was better than the book because the book is always better than the movie, but the movie was better than the book because at least the movie, because I want to bring this Mm -hmm. up at endings too, because at least the movie had an ending. When I got to the end of the book, I actually was like, wait, like, isn't did they cut a chapter? Did I get a defaulty copy of this this book that just doesn't have the last fifty pages? Because the story, like, because in the movie he kills the vampire, and in the book he doesn't. Nothing. Like it just you literally are like, wait, why is this over? But anyway, there's a framing device in there that we'll talk about that in the next episode when we get into endings. But the framing device is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer being the title. You think the main character is Abraham Lincoln? And he's killing vampires. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case. It's it's yeah. not. It's a different guy that I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, I've tried to, I've gone to therapy mm-hmm. to get rid of this book out of my mind. But if I if I kind of go back there into that terrifying, horribly <laughs> mentally disturbing place, um, I want to say that Abraham is dead. Mm-hmm. Lincoln is dead. Uh, and so it's this the this story where it's it's all written in third person about this guy who is hunting vampires and he's hunting them because he has found Abraham Lincoln's diary. Mm. And so we have this framing device in there where we have these first person scenes that is Abraham writing in his journal, but the story is actually told in third person. Um, But to take framing devices physical, I do want to add one thing. The, one of the worst things about that book is the fact that they did that because there's no visual clue. So you're reading along and you're yeah. in third person paragraph, third person paragraph, third person paragraph, first person paragraph, first person. You're oh, like, no. Wait, what? No, no. And then you're just in third person again. And I don't understand why they did that because literally if they had just, all they would have to do is make a little graphic of what looked like a page from a journal and put the first person stuff inside of that. And as soon as you hit that visually, you would go, oh, yeah, I'm now reading a journal. This is different. Even just put in a scene break, even just any scene break would have worked as well. Um, but they didn't. It was yeah. literally a paragraph um, to the next paragraph as if nothing was there. You, you have to break. You have to break. It was insane. Um, into your framing device. If you break, if you're using a framing device, you have to yeah. break in between your framing device and your story. I actually think that a very good framing device as well is Anne Rice's interview with a vampire. Now, yeah. I, I have not read Pride the first and one. Zombies. I have not read Abraham Lincoln. And the reason was it was recommended to me because I have friends who like that style of writing, but I don't like undead. I really don't. And I don't really like vampires either. I know that that makes me a weird geek, but I think that anything that crawls out of a grave should have stayed in that grave. (laughs) That is my opinion. And you will not shake me from it. I get it. (laughs) But but I like I the romanticized version of, of vampires where well, like, like, inter, like Anne, Anne Rice's vampires. I that's, devoured that's I that can't series. get into it. I'm like, I can't. This thing crawled out of a grave. How can you see it romantically? Well, but like in Anne Rice's, they don't crawl out of the grave. I know. I know. But they never made I can't it to the grave. get it out of my head. You know, it's yeah. just, I can't. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, it's Brad Pitt. I, it's, he's so freaking yummy. And Antonio Banderas on top of that. I know. Like, oh, forget about it. But anyway, so in the knees. <laughs> I mean, they, they did look hot. They, they, mm. I'm not going to lie. They did look hot. Mm. Um, interview with a vampire was a really great framing device. 
yeah. because you got to tell the whole story while talking to a you. And that you can almost become a stand-in, you know, for your audience. You can almost talk to your audience yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was a brilliant plot device. Mm. Like the, the sitting down, having a, this, this terrified mm. kind of unbelieving in the beginning, mm. you know, when, when, when that, when they meet in that room yeah. with the one light, the little wooden table. And he's like, you know, there, you can tell the reporter is like, I mean, I'm here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, believe this I don't crap. Really believe the vampires, like right. It's it's yeah. just because you come in skeptical, and then you just yeah. go on this massive ride. Like it, yeah. it's breathtaking. It's it's yeah. it's still one to this day. It's still one of my favorite series. And um, and I like it's one of the very few vampire books that I genuinely will recommend. I don't recommend everything Anne Rice has written because some mm-hmm. of it jumped off a cliff. <laughs> but interview was very good. Interview was great. Yeah. Vampire Schlatt was Lestat was great too. It's just that she she broke her story. So you have Louis and then you have Lestat. Mm. And Lestat in Interview the Vampire is a dick. He's mm. just horrible. And I liked him as a dick. He was a great mm. dick. Like he was yeah. perfect. Yeah. And but she decided he was an asshole. She, he was supposed to be an asshole. Right. But she decided and, and you know, she doesn't admit this, but mm. this is just my take on it, my opinion. I mm. could be absolutely wrong. But I feel like she decided that she liked uh, Lestat better, that she felt like Lestat had a more interesting life. So, so when mm. she went to write that second book, she couldn't write Lestat in the second book as the protagonist the same way that Lestat was in the first book. And I feel mm. like that I, I feel like you could have just done something mm-hmm. different come up with a different because it really almost was a different vampire they're not even the same mm-hmm. Lestat between these so that was the only problem that I had with the vampire Lestat mm-hmm. was that I feel like you broke your your world you 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 gave me this vampire and she yeah. she covered up by saying well no that was just Louis's interpretation of him Louis was wrong mm-hmm. and I'm like ah, but, but, okay, but now, I mean, it's a whole novel and yeah, he's now, never proven now. wrong now you make now you say that Louis was an unreliable narrator. To, but see, that's different because to, to bring us no, I agree. But to bring us back to our conversation, now you're saying yeah. that Louis was the unreliable narrator. Absolutely. But I I don't buy that. And, and here's the reason why. Was because Louis Lestat, unreliable. Well, the reason why I don't buy it is because you could say that Louis thought that he was a dick, mm. but the reality is, is he did Lestat dickish things constantly. Like yeah. there's no, there's no misinterpretation when he's no. doing the horrible things that he does. And then he doesn't do those things in, he's not the same yeah. character. He's this, he's this much better, you know, more likable character in the vampire Lestat. And so yeah. I really think that that's my only gripe with it. I really yeah. hate that inconsistency because she could have called it the vampire drake or whatever like she could have just come up with a different vampire and and they could have even known louis and lestat and you could have just had this other story because it really was a different character yeah so that's my that's my only problem or or she could have stuck to her guns and lestat could have been a dick that would have been a hard story to make the characters care about at that point i mean yes and no right if you think about some of the protagonists that we've had in fantasy, you know, starting with Stephen Donaldson, Cersei from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. We have had books and stories told from the point of view of reprehensible characters. I see. Mark, Mark to me, Lawrence's the that... Prince of Thorns, main 
Wow. Well, I was going to go thing? with Lolita. Lolita. Where we're following a pedophile. Like he is wow. the protagonist. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean, you're 100% right. So it's sort of like the thing that you mentioned earlier in Omniscient. You know, we got into head hopping and I never got the, we never got to the why. And, you know, again, mm. again, I think one of the reasons why people like the way I teach is it's not just this is how you do it and mm. this is why it's stronger, but it's also this is why. So mm. with head hopping, everyone who head hops has the same opinion. Everyone. Mm. I've, I've met tons of people that head hop in their books. I, I dock them on it and they go, oh, but I want to do it because, and this is the reason they always give. The reason they always give is I'm giving more information about every single character to the reader. So that's a good thing because they know what every character's motivation is. The reason why that's not a good thing is very simple. The only person that gives a crap about every character in a story is the writer. Readers will never care about every matter of fact, when you give them too many to care about, they don't care about any of them. So the reason why head hopping every time ruins your story is you are spreading out the reader's love to every character mm. and you can't, they, they won't, they're not, you may be the occasional reader, but you can't pay your bills off of one reader buying your book. You know, like, you have to have more. Like I love George R. R. Martin. I love, I love Game of Thrones. I do. But that's not head hopping. That's but just no, having no, no, a shit no. ton of POV characters. But there are so many POV characters that yeah. there are POV characters that I, it shames me to admit, I skim them. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's this dude. I don't really care. Let me just make sure he doesn't interact with anything I care about. Right. And I just skim the chapter. I do. That's like Wheel, uh, Wheel of Time from Robert Jordan. There, you know, if we just look at the main three, you know, the girls could become POV characters as well, but let's just look at the first three, uh, Randall Thor, Matt Cawthon and Perry, whatever his last name is. There are times where each one of them has an amazing story going on and, and you really just want that. The mm. problem is, is at those same times, one of the other three, you don't give a shit about. I would find myself skipping a chapter because mm. the next chapter would be one of the two that are strong right now. And then I'd go back later and read the chapter that I skip, but still I don't want this. So what I like I, that I love, and you can, you know, this is, this is in the fans that I talked to in the mm. reviews that are up on me. Like one of the things I love is I, I, you get to the end of one of my chapters and it ends in this hard hook and you're like, mm. Oh my God, I've got to read the next, you know, what happens here. But the next chapter is this other character, but, Oh, right. I really wanted to know what happened to them, too. And so, you know, because their chapter ended with this, this massive yeah. hook. So now you're like, well, I'm just going to keep reading because now I just remembered that and I want to I want to yeah. fill in that. But then you get to the end of that and it's a hard hook. And now it's a different character. And you're like, oh, yeah, but I really want to know what happened to theirs, too. And, and so I forced you to read that it, works, that I it, want to read. it works well, like that switching between point of view characters works well. I mean, I'm doing it in Ducal Air. I didn't in, in Hidden Blade. Hidden Blade is all right. written from one, one point of view. Right. You need to make the reader care about every character. Every character should have, if they're a POV character, if they're a narrating yeah. character, they must have their own unique story. Mm. that also ties in to the novel story. So they're going on a quest to do something, but it will also impact the massive overcome at the end of the story. So, yes. you know, if we were going to make, let's go to Star Wars, because I like to use this as my example. Uh, in A New Hope, the first movie, Luke Skywalker, if we're writing this as a novel, is our narrating character. We're going to tell mm. the entire novel through that. 
And Han Solo is just a secondary character, and he becomes mm. the rescue from without at the end, where he shoots Darth Vader and saves Luke Skywalker and gives him enough time to blow up mm. the Death Star. If we were going to make Han Solo also a POV character, we could because the the the, the groundwork is there. It mm. would be we would start him off before he meets Luke, where he's actually trying to pay off. And, and in the remakes, they added a couple little scenes where he's talking to. to um, um, Job of the Hutt and Shine, like mm. I need a little bit more time. So they expand upon a little bit in the movies. But if we're writing as a novel, we actually have to really expand upon the Han Solo debt arc mm. and what he has to do and how he gets tied up in the Rebels. And yeah, sure, he's there to, to save Luke at the end and do that. But mm. that's not so it ties into the overall big story, but it would still be about we would still conclude that because we never. You know, we don't go back and pay off Jabba he, and we can take the money at the yeah. rebels. So that's how we would do two. But he also POV needs characters. he also needs his own character growth arc. And this right. this is one of the things that makes me really annoyed with some fantasy authors. They tell they have multiple point of view characters. Two or three of those characters have grow over the course of the story. And they have, you know, growth paths. And it's not just plot paths. It's actual growth. Mm -hmm. And then one or two of their characters are point of view characters. They're fundamental to the plot. They bring things to the story. They have a story arc. They have zero characters. They're secondary characters. They're the same character at the beginning as they were at the end. They're secondary characters that for some reason we made narrators. Yeah. So they secondary characters don't have to grow, don't have to yeah. change, don't have to have all this stuff. And that's what they do. They they write them but then as secondary care. characters. Yeah. Right. See, you don't but care then about I don't care. Right? right. You don't care about secondary characters. Yeah. That's the thing. If you're going to write multiple POV characters, each one has to be as interesting and as strong as every other one, or the readers will skip them. Or the readers won't like those characters as much, or the readers will give a negative opinion about the characters that that are not as strong. And mm. you don't want that. You don't want them to, to like two thirds of your story. Mm. You know, it has to all tie in. It's it is hard. It's it's the because that I hate. I hate the mm. secondary characters that are written as narrating characters. But here's my biggest pet peeve: we're in a tavern. We're with the main character. We do the scene, but there's information that I need to give to the reader you know, after the, narr- the narrating character leaves. So I'm going to do an entire chapter from the narrating point of, a, of this bartender who is never in the story again. But I just did it because I wanted to, to use him to give this piece of information to the reader. So now you're talking about not even a secondary character, you're talking about a tertiary character with not only no growth and no no thematic uh, element and, and no tie into the story, but literally is a tertiary character in one scene and never seen again. Like I, I've I seen that so many times and it just <laughs> freaking kills me. When you run into a situation like that as a writer, say, oh, wow, this is difficult. The, the knee jerk reaction is to just jump in this bartender's head and give the information to the reader. But I know that's cheating and that's a crappy way to write. So now I'm going to struggle. I'm going to push myself as a writer and have to work. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Writers have to work to actually figure out an organic dynamic, interesting way to get the information that the bartender could just info dump on the reader and figure out a better, stronger, more interesting way to get into the story. I think that that is a good spot to end our conversation about narrators and framing devices. 
and we will catch you soon for another one. Thank you very much. Hey guys, Drake here. Thank you so much for listening to Releasing Your Inner Dragon podcast. I hope you're getting a ton of information and maybe even some nuggets of gold that you can take into your own writing to help you on your journey of story creation. A couple things I want to throw at you. First of all, for the first time in years, I am opening myself up to being a private mentor again. If you would like for me to work with you to improve your writing right now, reach out to me. You can either go to my website, maxwellalexanderdrake.com, and send me a contact form or or just email me at author at maxadrake.com. Also, as many of you may know, I've been out of the novel game for quite a few years. I was the lead fiction writer for EverQuest Next from Sony. I've been in the movie and TV industry for a few years now. But I am excited to say I'm back into the novel game. I've actually been working on a novel for a little while now, and I'm going to start dropping it on Amazon's Vela. So if you're on that platform, look me up, Maxwell Alexander Drake. Thank you again for listening, and as always, keep writing. Hi guys, this is Marie from Releasing Your Inner Dragon, and I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you're interested in more content on fantasy world building, head over to YouTube and look up Just In Time Worlds. I release tons of content there. If you'd like to check out my book, The Hidden Blade by Marie M. Mullaney, it is available as an ebook, audiobook, and print book on Amazon. Thanks for listening, and see you soon.